This podcast delves into the true crimes of Ed Gein, which inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and also talks about the graphic violence in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It will not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I bid you welcome. I want to play a game. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. Let them see what kind of a person I am. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Hey folks, my name is Will. My name is Yaz. And welcome to the Monster Monday podcast. This is the weekly podcast where myself and Yaz talk about a horror movie every week. And Yaz, why do we talk about horror films? Because the monsters in film aren't as scary as the monsters in real life. Um, We're sorry if you can hear fireworks and stuff like that in the background. It was bonfire night a couple of nights ago, but it's now the weekend. Uh, So there may be some background noise. There may be some of that happening as well. It may also be a complete coincidence because a couple of hours ago, five or six hours ago at time of recording, they announced that uh, the, the results of the US presidential election, Biden and Harris are... Uh, apparently now the president and vice president elect so we'll see how that pans out over the next few weeks and months history has been made it has the drinks are out as well for we me are celebrating yes we yes. are we're celebrating we, we are this, happy Saturday. this outcome i mean it's no bernie sanders no but, we'll but we'll it's better than um the, the monster al- that was in office the alternative and also if you want to trace the exact uh, time we're recording this Trump has started tweeting again, so you can you can you can basically say, oh, so that's when they recorded the episode. So he started tweeting again as of, as of a couple of minutes ago. However, we're going to stay in America for now. We're going to stay in the the heartland of America uh, in order to talk about this week's film, which we selected from the wheel last week, uh, or the wheel selected for us, I should say, and that's 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was uh, written. And directed by Toby Hooper. I'd never seen this film before from beginning to end. I, I, I know. Sacrilege. I will hand in my horror pass. But I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd only seen a couple of scenes from the film before. I'd never actually watched it beginning to end. It's one of those films you feel like you've seen. But this recent viewing was the first time that I'd actually seen the film. What about, what about yourself, Yaz? Yeah, I've seen it a few times before. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, We've also got some stories to share, which we'll probably share um, maybe towards the end or maybe as we're talking about the film itself proper, uh, about um, the the actor who played Leatherface uh, in this film, Gunnar Hansen, who we had the pleasure of meeting at a horror convention a couple of years ago. We did. Yes, we'll save those a little bit for later. But uh, when it comes to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this film was... Uh, was made in the 70s during a time of societal discontent, basically. The film uh, sold itself at the time as being based on true events, which it was inspired by a couple of elements, but the actual events of the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, believe it or not, did not take place. But it's during that time when there's, you know, the Vietnam War, you've got the oil crisis of 73, you've got Watergate, where society's faith in the, the truth-telling abilities of its institutions are at an all-time low. Oh, um, that sounds familiar. It, it does, yes. This <laughs> oh. this, this is the film of our times, really, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so Toby Hooper was wanting to try and feed into that with this whole mythology, this whole uh, alleged... Um, it, it was basically the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the Bowling Green Massacre of its day, basically. Uh, if you remember that reference from a few years ago. Do you not remember the Bowling Green Massacre? When Kellyanne Conway was like, the pre- there was a real massacre and the press never reported on it. Bowling Green Massacre never happened. She just made that up. <laughs> 
Uh, Toby Hooper was trying to do. Sorry, that. I shouldn't laugh. That's dangerous. It is a bit, it but but that was trying. But that was um, uh, yeah, that was a real thing that happened a few years ago, um, or maybe it was longer than that. Either way, time it just flows just doesn't flow correctly, basically. And it was also uh, inspired, much like Psycho was, about the 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 story of Ed Gein, who was a, a prolific killer in the, was it the 50s and 60s? Can you give us the Ed Gein 101, basically? You're the, the Ed Gein 101. Yeah, you're the true crime expert. It was 1957 that yeah. the first body was found. Okay. Basically, Ed Gein, he's inspired a lot of horror films because his crimes are pretty horrific. He only murdered two people. Now, I'm not saying that's a oh, good thing. Only is a relative term here. Yeah. yeah. In terms of other killers... But he's most notorious because of what they found when they raided his little farmhouse. Ed Gein, he he was like an odd job man. He did he did uh, he didn't have a stable career. He just did little jobs here and there. He lived with his mother, and when police found what they found, the one thing that sticks in mind for me is um, he made a belt made of human nipples. Oh. Um, so he would desecrate graves and desecrate bodies and he would make, uh, he made a corset out of human torsos. Um, he made leggings out of human leg skin mm. and basically the whole idea was for him to wear an outfit made of dead females mm. um, in order to be his mother, basically. So that's where it comes in for Psycho. Yeah. Um, and obviously leather face, putting on somebody else's face, that kind of thing. There's mm-hmm. no evidence of cannibalism or that he had sex with the dead bodies. Mm-hmm. But he did collect um, a lot of vulvas and he made um, furniture and all sorts out of the bones and the skin. And so I'm, I'm sure there was like a human lampshade that mm. he made. Um, so it's really disgusting stuff um this man was not well at all yeah so that's why he's so prolific and if you're into true crime he's probably one of the first killers you hear about yeah just because of the stuff that he did and um the body that they found that basically got the police like to look everywhere um was hung up from a meat hook Mm. um and was basically like spatchcocked like a deer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, because yeah, it's interesting the whole like mythology, if I if I use that term correctly, of Ed Gein, because now you he's mainly known through his interpretations that in different films like Silence of the Lambs and Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but he is not mentioned by name in those. Uh, in those films, like he's a kind of a composite. These characters, Hannibal Lecter, Leatherface, and others, are like a composite of all of these different elements of this one story, of this one true crime, uh, true crime event, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which is a very interesting way to kind of a, a approach a subject like that. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of, I think, kind of one of the more direct inspirations where it maybe takes more inspiration than most do. Yeah, he he made, like, bowls out of human skulls and stuff like that. Mm. And he desecrated something like nine graves and nine bodies to create all this um, really awful stuff. And, And he explains that he didn't have sex with the bodies because 
They smelt too bad. Yeah. Uh, how was how was he caught? So the victim that was dispatched like a, a deer was a hardware store owner, Bernice Warden, had disappeared. And a resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building at 9.30. But the store was closed the entire day. So some residents believed that she was deer hunt. Um, it was because of deer hunting. Um, but her son, the deputy sheriff, mm-hmm. entered the store around five to find the store's cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. So obviously that got the... The ball rolling, he told investigators that Ed Gein had been in the store the evening before his mother's disappearance and that he would return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. And a sales slip um, for the antifreeze was the last receipt Hmm. written by her before she disappeared. Gein was then arrested by the sheriff's department and the farm was searched. And then this is when they found the hung upside down body with her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. And um, she had been shot and mutilated. I don't want to go into it too much because, you, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty horrific. Um, but, yeah, the stuff that they found, there's a lot. It was like um, a wastebasket made of human skin, mm. human skin covering chairs, skulls on the bedpost. Um, you get the idea. Mm. And, and there's actually a mask made from the skin of female heads so that's where Leatherface gets its mm. inspiration yeah and it's it's interesting that the film decided to do something that was still like relatively recent this was in the 50s and 60s wasn't it Ed Gein was still alive he wouldn't die for another 10 years until after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out he died of uh, of lung cancer in in 1984 10 years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, but the actual inspiration for the like, titular chainsaws itself was from uh, Toby Hooper in a hardware store, surrounded by people. Stroke, like he, he he wanted to get out of the store, but it was way too crowded. So he just looked around and saw a chainsaw and thought, "What if I could use that to make my way through the crowd?" And that's <laughs> and that's kind of how that was inspired. But um, let's actually talk about the movie proper itself. Let's go through the plot and let's talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. In particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the movie opens with on-screen text and voiceover narration from John LaRoquette, warning the audience about how frightening and disturbing the events of the movie are about to be, and that this is based on true events. So a lot of the cast members in this film uh, were relative unknowns. They weren't paid much for their work. They mainly did like commercials and local projects and stuff like that. Some of them got a profit share of the film. However, John LaRoquette was not paid in money. Do you want to know how he was paid? Pizza. Uh, close, a single marijuana joint. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's that. That's how John Larry. This is his first ever film as well. John Larroquette as well. This voiceover narration and what what an impact as well. What a first impression. The audience are then teased some graphic imagery as body parts appear in the flash of an old fashioned camera. 
While the screen is black, we also hear the sound of tearing flesh and someone struggling before we fade into the sight of a decomposed body, propped up as an art display during dusk, while a radio report talks of incidents of grave robbing in the local area, which takes us to the opening titles. Oil storage units continue to burn out of control at the huge Texaco refinery near the Texas-Louisiana border. Three storage units exploded into flames during the night, killing at least three workers and injuring a dozen more. Firefighting units from three Texas cities continue to battle the Holocaust in an effort to confine 44 planes. Smoke from the fire is visible to Houston residents some 60 miles to the south. After some beautiful shots of the Texas sun and some roadkill, we're taken to the side of the road where a group of teenagers have parked up a van for a toilet break. We have Sally, played by Marilyn Burns, her wheelchair-bound brother Franklin, played by Paul A. Partain, and their friends Jerry Kirk and Pam, played by Alan Dazinger, William Vale and Terry McMinn, respectively. As Franklin is doing his business, a large lorry drives past, causing dust and dirt to fly at the teens and pushing Franklin's wheelchair down the hill into a ditch and out of his chair. Now, well, we shouldn't laugh at this, but this no, was very over. It was very over the it top. It did make me laugh. It did, and it's a bit like um, we talked about the witches last week, like in the 1990s film when that uh, baby's pram is going all the way down the hill <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and going. It was a little bit like that. Back on the road, the group are reading from an A to Z horoscope maker book. Uh, apparently Saturn is in retrograde, and that's bad, apparently. Uh, not only are you uh, known and well-versed in true crime, but I assume you know more about astrology than me. What on earth is retrograde, and why is Saturn in it, apparently? I've not really heard of Saturn in retrograde, but I have heard of Mercury in retrograde, and basically when Mercury's in retrograde, um, everything goes to shit. Oh. So you can often, like, when things are going wrong for you and stuff like that, you can often see that Mercury is in retrograde. Okay, so if things go wrong, just blame Mercury, yeah? Yeah, okay. pretty much. Okay. Um, and what does it mean by retrograde? Is that like a, is it a placement, or is it like just a, more of a, of a state of mental being? Mercury in retrograde um, is when the planet closest to the sun, mm-hmm. Mercury, um, appears to move backwards, east to west, rather than west to east across the sky. Mm-hmm. So it means things aren't working in proper order. Apparently, it is just an illusion when Mercury is in retrograde, but I call yeah. bullshit because things go wrong. Yeah. And um, <laughs> specifically, the things that sort of go wrong um, are between like communication and technology. Okay. So... It can be anything from like botched business deals, missed flights, anything that sort of goes wrong that is like um, like a mechanical issue with your car or like a, a broken mobile phone. Um, just little annoying things that make your day that much worse. Okay. These kind of things can be blamed on Mercury in retrograde. Mm-hmm. Um, and astrologers believe you should take extra care during this time so don't buy a new phone computer or car um take extra care to protect your electronics because this is when it's gonna like fail on you check Mm -hmm. your flight times don't sign any business deals and avoid relationship defining conversations because it could just all blow up for you and then you regret it later on um so you just have to sort of um take your time ride it out and you'll feel much better afterwards you can always feel your mood changing in mercury retrograde so you'll feel a bit more 
down on things or maybe angry and you'll be like for fuck's sake Mercury's <laughs> in retrograde because this 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 and this happened yeah yeah and then it goes away and everything feels much better yeah then you can bring that Libra energy back then can't you yes yes my Libra energy yeah. I am ruled by Venus yeah and I'm Gemini I don't know what that means I don't know you've who... got a split personality Ooh. so I balance you out because I'm the scales oh fun um, which is why we fit well together Aww. because your split personality is balanced by my diplomacy. Oh, <laughs> it's why it's why we we're so good at podcasting together. Apparently, so <laughs> the group in the van they they park up by a graveyard and Sally. Oh oh oh! oh hang on. Sorry. So the Gemini ruling planet is Mercury. Oh. I don't know if that's good or bad or not. We are delving into astrology, but they go into astrology there, so mm. let me give you yours. So, the most compatible sign mm-hmm. with a Gemini, as I've already told you, is a Libra, mm-hmm. me, because I balance you out, mm-hmm. because I've got the scales. Yep. Aquarius, Aries, and Leo. You are the sign associated with communication, logical thought processes, mm-hmm. and the conscious mind. You tend to be airy and intellectual, glib of tongue and curious about life and other people you can experience two sides of them at the same time and they tend to be flighty oh okay mm, this sounds, uh, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> they are witty and have a good sense of humor and are likely to be excellent conversationalists gemini's make good teachers Oh. They can be nervous and high-strung and maybe mischievous. Mm. Unlike possessive Taurus, they tend to lean towards liberty in relationship. And although Geminis can be easily bored under the control of self-discipline, they have tremendous intellectual and artistic possibilities. Okay. So, you're an air sign. I'm an air sign. That's mm. all good. Okay. And your keyword is communicate okay so i need to try and get the word communicate into this plot synopsis somehow would you like mine yeah go for it it would be a massive dick move for me to say no we've (laughs) we've gone through mine let's just ignore yours so as i said before i'm a libra yeah i was born in october Mm -hmm. um my ruling planet is venus as i have told you (laughs) Libra is the sign of harmony and relationship. The sun in Libra is at the time of the equinox when the day equals night. They are seekers of harmony and beauty. Their natural mode of living is in partnership with others. Intimate relationships are quite important to them, as are issues of social justice. (laughs) Well, that, yeah, no shit. (laughs) Libras forever hope that all parties in conflict will be satisfied and they have a tendency to understand and support both sides of a dispute which can drive their friends crazy unless they are smart enough to value the mediation that Libras naturally provide. Mm. Libras will go out of their way to avoid a quarrel and they may have a hard time making a decision. Yes, I'm very indecisive. Because that's interesting because like I'm not um like I'm not massive into like astrology and horoscopes and stuff like that. I think I think it's interesting, but like a lot of it is just if you read um like uh, your daily newspaper or whatever and read the horoscopes it is just 
the same thing said like how many star signs are there is it 12 12. yeah it's just the same thing but said 12 different ways whereas that description that you've just given of libra it doesn't sound like me at all but it definitely sounds like you well that's because i'm a libra yeah yeah, i know but it's a this it's not just (laughs) we've just um we've just copied our mate's work let's just dress up slightly differently so it doesn't look like i've copied these are two very different descriptions which actually do line up with us yeah Artistic pursuits of all kinds provide an outlet for Libra's love of beauty. They benefit from strengthening their will to act in favour of their higher purpose, which ultimately lies in dedicating themselves to humanity at large. And uh, this little note at the bottom of the Libra description, uh, and Yaz is spooky as shit. (laughs) The key word for me is relating. Okay. So now we've got our word of the days that we need to somehow get into I mean, this. I'm not being funny, but I am a, a true Libra through and through. Mm. I know I am. I like... <laughs> yeah, or, makes sense. I do like astrology. I know to a lot of people it's a load of bullshit, but it's just something nice to believe in. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not like... And I just like the description of a Libra does fit me to a T. Yeah, well, it's also just like nice and sometimes cathartic to try and find these patterns and things as well, isn't it? It's interesting. So after what I'm presuming might be the longest tangent that we've ever had on this podcast so far. It was important. It was very important, She was reading a magazine about astrology. Exactly, yeah. And it does get brought up a couple of times as well in the story. Like, oh, all of this bad stuff in Texas is happening because of a retrograde planet. So the group, they park up in a graveyard. Sally is there to visit her grandfather's grave to see if it's been vandalised because there's all these new stories of all of this stuff happening. She wants to make sure that her grandfather is... The site hasn't been desecrated, basically. So she goes to look as she's as she's been escorted by uh, a local citizen taking her to the graveyard. The rest of the group get freaked out by a drunken uh, Texan who's just rolling on the floor, just saying cryptic shit. Uh, and thankfully, the grandfather's grave has been left undisturbed. So, um, Libra's personality traits yep diplomatic as i told you i'm the scales i'm a natural peacemaker i'd say that's pretty true and um i like being tactful and diplomatic in their relationships and groups they choose their words carefully and aim to find common ground with as many people as possible we're fair we've -hmm. got a strong sense of justice yeah yeah that one's true they want to make sure everyone gets heard and are passionate about making sure things are balanced especially when it comes to group events we're idealistic we always prefer to look on the bright side they see the best in people in all situations Mm. Um, doubtful on that one not not everything can be not everything um they have great intentions and think the best of people and ideas Mm -hmm. we're kind of social we thrive on companionship and we surround ourselves with interesting people that can introduce them to new things. That one I definitely agree with. I can't do small talk. I hate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I would rather have a deep conversation with you. Yeah. Even if I've just met you. Tell me what your worst fear is. Don't tell me about the weather. I don't give a shit. Have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> talk about that. Yeah. Um, we're apparently clever. Well, I can't, I can't comment on that. Yeah. So I don't really know. Yeah. Um... That's, that's, where you're <laughs> that's, to... that's when I'm meant to say something supportive, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very big brain. He has a very big brain. We're romantic. Um, and we love love. Aww. Yes. Um, we are lots of fun in platonic friendships. And we're very open-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, yeah, I would say that pretty much suits me. That is me to a T. I'm not trying to be big-headed or out, but no. those traits do... 
Dave Fitmay. But bringing us uh, bringing us back on topic, do you want to know who else is very open-minded? All of these people in the, driving the van because they spot a hitchhiker <laughs> on the road and decide to pick him up. I so, wanted to go into your traits as uh, well, you know. Well, tell you what, we'll say because we've got to move on to the plot a little bit. So if you actually bring up those pages and get that ready. We'll I've do... got it now. Ah, go on then, go on. If, if you don't want uh, horoscope talk, you feel free to skip forward a couple of minutes. But um, <laughs> we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming in a, in a few minutes. I don't minutes. get to talk about this quite often. Oh, well, well, and I really enjoy talking you, about the Zodiac. You, I, mean, so. this, I mean, one of the characters in this film has got a horoscope book. And now this is an entire like 20 minute digression. Yes. We're going to make the most of this. So Geminis are adaptable. Oh, God knows what happens when we get to like an actual like star sign or... Um, like zodiac signs, like supernatural horror film or something. Oh no, we've already ta- we've already used up all this material for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Don't oh. worry, I'll find more. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll have to bring on some more co-hosts with different star yeah. signs. Um, so you're willing to try anything at least once. Mm-hmm. So don't play truth or dare with them because you will lose. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so that 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 laugh sounded a bit more sinister than planned. <laughs> Um, you're very flexible and able to change on a dime. Um, I don't know if that's true. Oh, firework. Yeah, you're intelligent. Yeah, I'll give um, you that. Oh, oh. Not as intelligent as me. Oh, no, look, that's, that's that big brain... That's li- just on a whole... That's, like... that's the big brain Libra energy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> your impulsiveness can f- make it hard for you to accomplish your goals. You can mm. lose focus and interest in your task Abs- and move on to something else. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very much you. Yeah unreliable as well um, you you are late a lot yeah I, i'm in my mind i'm mixing up like loyalty and reliable yeah, yeah no yeah. no you are loyal but yeah. you're unreliable as in yeah. you turn up late to everything and um you're irresponsible sometimes and mm. you like to avoid responsibility mm. so yes don't count on them to help you pack or help you move well, to be fair, I, I moved us from one place to another because you were working during that time. Yeah, and if I wasn't... Yeah, you will let you do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's only because so, so things are just how you want them to be. And apparently you're nosy. Oh, no, no. I'm not nosy. That doesn't suit you. Yeah, I'm not You're nosy. not nosy. I'm... Or In fact, you're the opposite of nosy. Whatever that is. In fact, you just couldn't give two shits about anybody else's life. <laughs> well, that's, that's a bit harsh. But I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you're, that you're in not, the way that you're not you're just you're just not interested in drama or mm. gossip or what anybody like you you're very secular in the way you think. But then again, I think that's because you're neurodiverse rather than a Gemini trait. Yeah. But anyway. But anyway, uh speaking of nosy, I'm I'm going to try really hard to get these transitions in. <laughs> so speaking of nosy, uh there's a local stench as the guys are driving down the road in their van and it is uh the old slaughterhouse. Um their granddad used to used to sell their cattle to the slaughterhouse when when he was alive. Uh, and on the road they spot a hitchhiker played by Edwin Neal and decide with basically zero argument, zero discussion to just pick him up and take him to wherever he wants to go. Uh, and yeah, this guy's. Uh, Don't do it. No. Do you know what? This is why there's so many prolific serial killers in the 70s. Because everybody was hitchhiking mm. and picking people up. Well, you say that because. Um... Oh, where has it gone? The oh. 70s is the decade where the, there was the most serial killers about in America at the time. Well, that is true. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, um... I know it's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, you showed me. Um, 
But according to, to the actor Edwin Neal, he plays the hitchhiker, Texas State Troopers actually like shook his hand and, and, uh, and thanked him when, when, he, when he met them. Because apparently, due to his performance in the film, crime in Texas dropped by 18%. Apparently, the message that audiences took away from the film was, don't pick up hitchhikers. Yeah, because they're going to kill you. Mm. Well, at the very least, freak you the hell out, because... This guy is clearly not right in the head. Uh, they, they talk about their families and working at the slaughterhouse and everything, and they pass around some Polaroid pictures of cow carcasses. Uh, but Sally insists that they change the subject. We think that she might be a vegetarian or something. Uh, hi- um, yeah, I found it quite distressing, this bit, yeah, to be honest. Um, and like, the images of the cows and everything yeah, in the slaughterhouse. Yeah, I, I got really, really sad. Yeah, because yeah, um, this is a vegetarian house. Yeah. Um, hey, man, did you go in that slaughter room or whatever they call it? The place where they shoot the cattle in the head with that big air gun thing. Oh, that, that, that gun's no good. I was in there once with my uncle. No way. With a sledge. <laughs> See, that was better. They died better that way. How come? I, I thought the gun was better. Oh, no. No. With the new way people put out a job. You do that? Look. But the hitchhiker becomes interested in a pocket knife that Franklin is playing with and just snatches it out of his hands before deliberately cutting his palm open and handing the knife back and takes out a shaving razor of his own to try and impress the rest of the group. He then starts taking photos of his new silent friends and then tries to sell them for $2 and even invites them to dinner with his family when he's dropped off but the group politely decline. When the group refuse to pay for the photos, the hitchhiker sets fire to them and in the chaos slashes Franklin's arm open with his razor and he's promptly kicked out of the van. And there's the great shot from inside of the van of him like like hitting the side of the car, like sticking his tongue out of them, trying to chase them and he smears blood on the side of their van as they're leaving. Yeah, um, so just one thing I want to point out mm-hmm. um, is this character... Um, so I'm assuming the mark on his face is makeup. Yeah, I, I, found, I couldn't find any pitch, uh, pictures of the actor himself out of character with with a mark like that on his face. I think it was makeup. Yeah. So this is what is known as a signifier. So usually marks and stuff are are put on the evil characters in a film to signify that they're evil. Like there's mm-hmm. something wrong with them. They, Obviously, that's not a very nice one. There is nothing wrong with having birthmarks or anything like that. I don't think it would fly today. Hmm. But another thing of this is um, Mads Mikkelsen in James Bond, when he has a scar across his eye, you'll find that the marks and stuff on people's skins and stuff like that is a signifier of an evil character. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just a little... Well, I'm sure it goes back even further, where it's like even Blofeld in the like uh, original, like the early James Bond films, uh, when he's got the the scar in his eye and stuff like that. Oh, it's because he's an evil character. He's got the the these injuries. Or yeah, these and he's seen as the other because yeah. it's not usually like what yeah. people have. Well, but that not okay now yeah. i mean it was the 70s well, yeah. it's different but, back then but it's also like this is even a pretty recent conversation as well because the new version of the witches is kind of under under yeah. fire at the moment because it, even by like the context of the original book from the 80s 
uh, they kind of really play up the additional deformities and stuff of the witches when they're out of their disguise. It's like the the idea that they've only got like two fingers on their hands, like that's from the film. That's not from the book. They've no. got they've got claws and uh, it was distasteful, uh, and I can understand why people are yeah, like, upset by it. Yeah, I don't think it's done in in like malice i don't think the intention is to try and stigmatize these things it is it, we are just as a culture so used to the shorthand like we want to instantly or very quickly be able to communicate to audiences uh like bad characters or distrustful people and stuff like that and i'm not saying this is an equivalent but even like darth vader is a man with breathing issues like and he's evil like obviously the two aren't necessarily linked but it's like we're just so used to the shorthand of like inhumanity these people who don't appear but normal in the original the witches they didn't do that at all and it isn't offensive they make it um grotesque and witchy and really scary i think they look way better in the original as opposed to this it is taking the piss a little bit Mm. like like um we, we follow alex brooker on Instagram, and he oh, yeah. mentioned it. He was somebody that had meningitis. He is somebody who is disabled, and he was born with only um, a couple of fingers on his hands. Mm-hmm. And he did find it offensive, and understandably, you he you would find that offensive because mm-hmm. it is it's, it's perpetuating this stupid fucking myth mm. that disabled is wrong yeah. and that it's okay to you know they're the other and you know it's it's really horrible and they should have thought about that yeah the, you know that they, they've got no excuse yeah i mean it maybe wasn't done in malice but what is your excuse now yeah, it, yeah it's it's just unintended consequences and i know people like just maybe look at the word like offended or offensive and just immediately try and tune out the conversation i but i, I think we need to find maybe a better word to communicate that i don't think people are like uh, saying let's protest these films or let's boycott them or whatever but I think it's more just having a conversation to try and change how these stories are told to be more inclusive to other people. Yeah because think of that little kid watching that film that maybe does have a deformity or or is disabled and, and, and they see themselves oh I look like that person because I only have, yeah. you know, my hand's not the same as the other children in the mm-hmm. thing but it's the same as the witch yeah see that's right ro- that's a wrong message to send to yeah. kids and stuff like that it's not nice yeah i think you can still tell these stories absolutely i just think we also need to be a, maybe a bit more creative with how we do it well, with, like how, with say, how we they, tell they these did stories it, they did it fine yeah like cause in, it, in the old one yeah because in the 90s film they are so over the top and like, she's the, not missing any limbs or anything like that yeah. it isn't it isn't like a dis- disability yeah. that they have. I can't remember. She just if, looks grotesque. I can't remember if in the nineties film they also had no toes on their feet. That is from the book. I do remember that from the book. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that that was just a, a interesting conversation that's been uh, doing the rounds this past week. Uh, but yeah, because you've got this hitchhiker who has a, a very notable birthmark on his uh, on his face and stuff like that. Uh, this goes way back. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was hardly the first to 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 do this, and 2020's The Witches will not be the last to do it either. 
But no, they, no, I'm not saying that it was meant as offensive in the oh, no. in, in the Texas Chainsaw no, Massacre. No, of course not. So the group stopped for gas, but the attendant, played by Jim Seedow, says that their tanks are empty until tomorrow, and he also tries to sell them some barbecue meat. The group push on to their grandfather's homestead, a few miles away, so they can return the next day and fill up the van. When they arrive, they find the building overgrown and dilapidated. Franklin stays outside to wipe down the van after the hitchhiker smeared the side of it with his blood, as the rest of the group go inside the empty house and start reminiscing and laughing upstairs, leaving Franklin to struggle in his chair downstairs alone. <laughs> Come on, Franklin! It's gonna be a fun trip! <laughs> any more fun today i don't think i'm gonna be able to take it kirk asks franklin about a swimming hole he heard about for him and pam and franklin points the two in the right direction as the couple head out franklin gets freaked out when he finds what appears to be the skeletal remains of an animal in the house and also a little ornament made out of small bones hanging from the ceiling that's going on the etsy store that's something that you can make at home as well if you've got uh, if you've got little bones that you can make Kirk and Pam find what remains of the swimming hole, but it's all dried up. But in the distance, they spot another house and they also hear a generator. Thinking that they might be able to sell them some gasoline, the two head over. And the house has tents and homemade wind chimes outside, as well as a massive collection of run-down old cars. It's basically a car, uh, a car graveyard. Uh, the two spot the generator, which is the source of the noise, and they knock at the door, but there's no answer. Though Kirk does find a human tooth on the porch, which freaks out Pam, who runs off. And then Kirk... Lies. Yep, because Kirk, he lets himself into the house. And this is what we in the horror community call, and I quote, a bad move. So Kirk, uh, Kirk shouts for anyone inside, only to hear the sound of what seems to be a squealing pig coming from the back room. Kirk goes to investigate, but before he even gets into the doorway, a large man wearing a mask made of human skin and an apron wielding a hammer surprises him. This is Leatherface, played by Gunnar Hansen. Kirk is beaten to death in the doorway with a hammer, pulled into the room, and Leatherface slams the metal door shut. Hello? terrific it's so i forgot how good this death was and the sound morbid but it's it's like a tw- it's like a 20 second scene it's really short it's really quick it's not particularly bloody but it still seems graphic yeah he, he gets hit with a hammer and like on the floor he's like His convulsing twitching, yeah. yeah he gets pulled into this back room and then this metal door gets slammed shut it's like there's no music to it it's all just like just all the soundscape and the like just the imagery of it it's really it's a really great scene pam gets worried and heads inside the house to find kirk bad move finding a living room with furniture made from human bones and this seems like something you could set up for a halloween party like this is you could like recreate this room and not with bones hopefully well, no not with real bones uh, there is also a live chicken in there as well just in a cage randomly 
Pam is understandably freaked out. She starts retching and tries to flee, only for Leatherface to give chase. And this is, you found this quite funny. Uh, he opens the metal door and he's just there and just instantly runs for her, which is really funny. Uh, he picks her up, and despite desperately flailing to try and escape, Leatherface manages to take her into the back room where Kirk was also taken. Kirk's body is laying on the table in the center of the room, and Leatherface hangs Pam up from a meat hook. And, ooh, I guess the, the idea of that really freaks me out. Uh, so Leatherface takes a chainsaw from the side, revs it up, and starts dismembering Kirk's body while Pam watches, screaming, unable to escape from the hook. So back at the other dilapidated house with the rest of the group, Franklin is upset that Sally seems to have lost his pocket knife, and is also paranoid that the hitchhiker will try and find them. Jerry heads out to look for Pam and Kirk, stumbling across the house. There's no answer at the door, but Jerry does hear some strange laughing noises inside. Thinking his friends are playing a prank, he goes inside and into the back room, which is now empty, and there's no sign of Pam and Kirk. But there is a noise coming from one of the freezers. He opens it up to find Pam inside, who violently wakes up. Leatherface then surprises him, runs in from the doorway behind him, and beats him to death with a hammer, and shuts Pam back into the freezer. Leatherface then goes to the living room window to see if there's anyone else coming, and then sits down on the sofa to collect himself. I actually thought this was a really nice scene. Like, obviously, Leatherface is a horror icon and a monster, basically. But this was like a random humanised moment that I forgot, I didn't know was in this film. Where he's clearly scared, he wants to know, is anyone else coming? And then he, like, just sits down for a minute to, like, compose himself, basically. It was a a scene that I didn't expect from this scene and Gunnar Hansen when he, he took this role he went to um to special needs schools for, for children to kind of like gauge and examine their body language and how they would move and walk around and he tried to emulate that in, in the film as well uh, it, he said it was his way of like trying to be respectful in a way so uh, to actually trying to base the performance in reality instead of just trying to make it a stereotype um, and I think he succeeds in, in, in the film as well it's a really it's a really great physical performance. Darkness falls and Sally is honking the van's horn to try and get their friend's attention. Franklin suggests going to the gas station for help but realises that they do not have the van keys so they can't drive away. The two head out and find... What do they find, Yaz? They find death because Leatherface surprises them uh, from the trees and he kills Franklin with a chainsaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the one... And only chainsaw death in this film, despite it being called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, and there's a really interesting story where, behind the scenes, uh, Gunnar Hansen and the actor who plays Franklin, uh, Paul A. Partain, they did not get along on set. Gunnar Hansen, like, he hated him. He was like, this guy's an asshole. Why is he like this? But it wasn't until a few years later he learnt that Paul was just... On, he was just in character all the time he was very method he was just Franklin all the time even when the cameras weren't rolling and they actually developed a really strong and close friendship and they were friends up until uh, Paul's death from cancer in 2005 um, and yeah so they they, got, they really got along after the shooting of the film but they didn't like each other when shooting <laughs> and I just imagine Gunner just like pretending to get him with a chainsaw but like take this you asshole that's all yeah, I imagine yeah it's quite a funny death um, but I was just like, why is she stood there screaming, like, fucking peg it? Yeah, Sa- like, what are you doing? Yeah, Sally spends a lot of uh, this scene just standing and screaming. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's, I find it funny as well because there's no, there's very little actual build-up. It's like uh, Franklin's being pushed around in the wheelchair in the forest. And then he's like, shh, do you hear that? I think I hear a noise. And then he just comes out of the trees. Sally, I hear something. Stop. 
There's like no suspense, no build up, but this is all just shock, like just instant, instant death. And I, and I found it really funny, but it, it made it really effective as well. It's a really to the point, really to, to the point kill. So after a lengthy chase throughout the forest, Sally stumbles across Leatherface's house and heads inside, locking the front door and running up the stairs. As Leatherface uses his chainsaw to rip through the front door, Sally thinks she's found help upstairs, but it's just a dried-up male corpse and the skeletal remains of a woman sat in the armchairs. Why didn't he just open the door? He lives there. Yeah, maybe he doesn't have a key. I don't know. Maybe he's not trusted with a key. Sally tries to head back downstairs, but Leatherface has cut through the door, so she runs back up and leaps straight out of the window. She's injured. I mean, if you're going to commit, she commits to it as well. There's no, uh, do I not? No, straight through the window. Well, I suppose your survival instinct to yeah, kick in. Absolutely. She's injured after falling two stories, but she is alive and she limps away with Leatherface in pursuit. He almost catches her when she runs into a large branch, but she happens upon the gas station they went to earlier, where the attendant is still there and tries to calm her down. The attendant looks outside and it appears that Leatherface has disappeared. Sally begs him to call the police, but the attendant says there's no phone, so they'll get in his truck and go in person. As he backs up his truck by the door, Sally notices all of the barbecue meat being cooked in the back of the gas station, as a news report on the radio reiterates the top story of the grave robbers. The attendant comes back with a large sack and takes a piece of rope out to tie Sally up with. Sally responds by grabbing a large knife from the side and threatening him with it. But the attendant grabs a nearby broom and smacks the knife out of her hand and starts hitting her with it until she's knocked out. The sound effects are a bit cartoony. It's like whack, whack, whack. And yeah, it's just a bit funny just watching this man with a, with a broom just hit her over the head with it repeatedly. He gags and bounds her and puts her in the back of his truck and drives away. He starts driving towards the house and on the dirt road that leads into it, drives by the hitchhiker, who the attendant knows and starts beating him with a stick because the hitchhiker has been at the graveyard again and left his brothers alone in the house. Sally gets taken inside and the hitchhiker recognises her from earlier, much to his glee. He ties her to the chair as Leatherface, now dressed in women's clothing and now wearing a wig, tries to explain to the attendant where he's storing her friends. The hitchhiker and Leatherface are asked to bring Grandpa down to join them for supper, Grandpa being the male corpse from upstairs. The two carry Grandpa down, chair and all, and seat him next to Sally. The hitchhiker pins Sally down while Leatherface cuts her finger, making it bleed, and puts the finger in Grandpa's mouth, who starts sucking the blood. Grandpa is still alive and played by John Dugan under very heavy makeup. So yeah, and that this, scene is the one scene that is gross what, to me. Made even grosser by the fact that the blood pump uh, that was meant to be behind the finger wasn't working. So they actually on camera cut the actress's finger and made it bleed, and then it goes. Yeah, to, you can tell that it's real blood as yeah, well. And it goes straight into um, into Grandpa's mouth as well in in one shot. So that's real as well. Um, yuck! Uh, Sally is so shocked she appears to faint. So Sally wakes up a short time later, still strapped to the chair, and I like this chair. It has literal arm rests, like yeah. severed arms on it, like, you know, 10 out of 10 for creativity. <laughs> um, and she's at the end of this dinner table with Leatherface, the attendant, who's nicknamed the cook, the hitchhiker, and Grandpa eating a meat meal. Uh, Sally screams, but the hitchhiker and Leatherface just mock her. 
Cue the extreme close-ups, the creepy smiling and the laughing, etc, etc. high-pitched sounds in these scenes and it was really disorientating to me it's Hmm. too high-pitched for me yeah with the exception of like some of the music that plays over the van radio and stuff there's no actual music in this film it is all just sound effects and stuff and a lot of it is like the idea of scraping metal and scraping and scratching materials the soundscape is meant to be sound effects and noises that you would find in a slaughterhouse and, and they've taken those noises to try and create a soundscape around it but this scene, this is like the famous scene, the, the dinner table scene that this film is mainly known for. And this scene was shot in, in one go, like in one filming day, which took about 30 hours, a 30-hour filming session. Oh. And the reason for this is because John uh, John Duggan, who plays Grandpa, once they did like the screen tests or whatever to like test the makeup effects to like age him up to look like a 100 or 110-year-old man, uh, it took so long to do that and he was so uncomfortable in that makeup and the outfit and everything that he did not want to do it like more than once. So he was done in his makeup and they had to film all of his scenes in one filming block, including this one. So a scene that should have taken maybe two or three days to shoot was shot in one attempt in about 30 hours. And by the end of the scene, where all this like crazy hysterical shit is happening, the actors, including... like. Um, uh, Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface. Uh, I forget what the term is, but it's when you're like, you've, you're kind of going a bit hysterical. You're so in character. Delirious. Yeah, you, 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 uh, to the to the point we start to kind of inhabit these characters, and because these characters are cannibals and hillbilly families who want to try and kill this person, there was apparently like a moment where Gunnar Hansen actually wanted to kill Sally. When, when instructed to by, by one of his brothers in the film. And like for a moment, he lost himself in that moment, which is kind of scary. And Sleep deprivation can do that. But like we've had this discussion a little bit before. I can't remember what the film was, but I, while it, it, it makes for great... I think it was The Evil Dead. I think this kind of goes a bit further than that, though, because what, like we kind of fetishize the idea of like suffering through art and stuff like that. But... These people, they're filming in Texas like, dur- during a heat wave. Like, they're, they're surrounded by rotting, smelly meat because of the lights and everything. And they're filming for about 30 hours. Like, it's, it's, like we, we kind of fetishize the idea of like, working so hard and suffering for the art. But I, I, I don't know if it's kind of worth that sort of discomfort to anyone. I don't know. And, and because the budget is so low, uh, Le- Gunnar Hansen only had one outfit for... Um, for Leatherface, so he like his shirts and clothing never got washed. So by the end of filming, and of course you're running around in like 100 degree heat and stuff like that, no one wanted to stand near him because he stunk so badly. <laughs> like, and um, by the end of the film, Sally, like uh, she's her clothing is so covered in blood that it's like cracking and breaking apart, and and all of that stuff. Like, like that's all, cool. Yeah, but like, the the end result is like very impressive and like it's a brilliantly executed scene. But part of it, for me, is like I don't like the idea of just the actors being profoundly uncomfortable and 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 exposed to well, all of this stuff. No, it probably wouldn't be like that now. There's a lot more regulation and stuff in place. Yeah, yeah. But the actor who plays the hitchhiker, Edwin Neal, 
before he filmed this, he was uh, he was a veteran. He was at Vietnam. But even despite all of that that he went through, he described shooting this dinner scene as the worst day of his life. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, dear, yeah. it must have been bad. Yeah. The cook, however, seems to have an issue with the actual killing part of the whole, you know, family business. Uh, he, he just cooks, basically, but the rest of the family do all of the killing. So he tries to step out of the room while the rest of the family finish the job to kill Sally. Apparently, Grandpa is the best killer, so they decide to let him do it, to let him have all the fun. So Sally is freed from the chair so she can be brought closer to Grandpa, who tries to kill her with a hammer. But because he's so old, because he's so weak, Grandpa keeps dropping the hammer. Sally manages to struggle out of the hitchhiker's grip and runs off, jumping through the window. Hey, you know, it worked last time. But he does get her one time. It's really good. Oh, yes. He does hit her one time. Yeah. But but she she is able to escape and jump out the window. Um, And uh, IMDB pointed this out, which I found really funny. There are more scenes of this woman jumping through a window than there are actual chainsaw deaths in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> but uh, so she jumps out the window and it's now morning. It's out. She's outdoors and Sally starts fleeing from the house with the hitchhiker and Leatherface wielding a chainsaw following. Sally manages to reach the main road, but the hitchhiker is caught up and starts slashing her in the back multiple times with his knife. Um, she's saved when a large truck hurtles its way down the road and runs over the hitchhiker. Good timing. Very good. Um, The truck slows down and pulls to the side of the road. Uh, The driver, who is the real hero of the movie, basically, played by Perry Lorenz, uh, steps out to investigate. This is no hit and run. He's he's actually going to investigate. Only to run back to his vehicle when Leatherface comes around the corner with the chainsaw. I mean, yeah. Yes, but to his credit, the driver does pull Sally into the truck through the door, while Leatherface tries to cut through it. The driver grabs a wrench, and he and Sally get out of the other side of the truck and run away, but Leatherface is not too far behind. The driver, bravely or stupidly, just decides to stop and fight Leatherface, but he hits him in the face with a wrench, knocking him over and causing him to drop his chainsaw onto his leg, giving him a nasty injury. Uh, And this is the only shot of the film where where we actually see a chainsaw make contact with human flesh, and it's to Leatherface himself. Uh, what they did for this scene was that they put on like a metal protective plate onto Gunnar Hansen's leg, um, and then the chainsaw could like fall onto his leg safely. However, while the, his leg didn't get cut, the friction of the metal plate and the chainsaw generated a massive amount of heat really quickly, burning his leg. The scream that we hear from Leatherface in the film was Gunnar's actual scream at that injury. <laughs> that doesn't sound safe at all yeah. just because you've got a metal plate there doesn't mean to say it won't go through it yeah so that yeah but that, that happens like 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 i said like it, it's it's a fun story oh the, the scream was actually real but it's like that's i i don't want to put actors through that i don't know yeah but the amount of times that happens in films though i don't know yeah but it is what it is let's try and try and make it better i guess yeah but now we've got more technology and more stuff like that where you can do that i mean back then that's pretty impressive mm. but leatherface he gets back up and starts limping towards the two but sally manages to stop a passing truck the lorry driver keeps running but sally manages to jump on board the back of the truck with leatherface trying to run after them but it's useless and as sally is hysterically screaming and laughing in terror in the back of the truck 
Leatherface is left alone in the road, flailing his chainsaw around in anger and defeat. Uh, this was the last scene that they shot in the film. The actual chainsaw falling onto Leatherface's leg was the very last shot they filmed, but this was the last scene they did. And Gunnar Hansen, so pissed off at Toby Hooper for all of the shit he's put the actors through over the course of filming, was trying to scare him um, by flailing the chainsaw around to try and get revenge on behalf of the rest of the cast. Uh, We cut to black and the credits roll. Yes, what did you think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, it's a good film. Um, it definitely lives up to today still. It's still a good... Mm. It's not necessarily terrifying, Yeah, but it is a good horror film. I think if I did see this in 1974... Oh, yeah, you'd shit your pants. I, you stole my... Fr- I was about to say <laughs> I'd shit my pants. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Because even just the scene when... It's the very first kill when Leatherface just surprises Kirk. I think, I think it's Kirk. Um, like that's an issue in and of itself. I don't know or care about any other characters. I, I, I like character-wise, I think the film really doesn't have anything going for it. I don't it. think it needs it though. It doesn't. The thank it's only like eighteen minutes long. If it was any longer, I think it might drag a lot. But it is really short and to the point, so it pulls it off. But like even just the short scenes and the short sporadic violence is so impactful. And like in nineteen seventy four, I would have shit my pants in the movie theater watching this. Yeah, it's got incredibly iconic scenes and moments as well. Some really great cinematography and shots. And uh, like a, a strong and committed cast as well. And that dinner scene as well. Like When I watched that for the very first time, like it just seemed to go on forever. like In a good way, like just really uncomfortable. Yeah. And it just felt like it was going on and on and on. Even if it was only just a couple of minutes. And I think being able to put you in that headspace is a really impressive feat of filmmaking. I think it's a really good film. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it really holds up. A classic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it also did spawn a franchise as well. It's one of the like top ten highest grossing film horror film franchises of all time. What are you grinning at? It features our one and only Rene Zellweger. It does, yes. Uh, Rene Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey found uh, their careers beginning with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation from the mid-90s. Do we save uh, your flawless Rene Zellweger impression (laughs) uh, for if we ever talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation? When the film first came out, it kind of got a a mixed reception. It, It kind of... I don't blame them because I think maybe many people at the time just saw it as complete shock value and just overly gratuitous. Even though over the editing process and the filming process, Toby Hooper tried very, very hard to make sure there was actually very little blood and very little actual violence in the film. But the MPAA just deemed it, this this is an X-rated film, you can't release this thing. So many cuts and alterations had to be made just to get it to an R rating. Uh, despite it not being designed that way in the first place. And when the film was released, it found itself banned in many territories, like Brazil, Chile, France, Norway, Sweden, uh, Germany. It, it it ran for a limited theatrical run in the UK before being banned after its release. Uh, when the, the British Board of Film Censors 
basically just came down really hard in the film. They they were even like forced to to ban the word chainsaw from the film's title itself. So they had to completely rename it. And then they thought, no, we're not even going to bother releasing this again. Uh, the follow like, and then it was many years later. Uh, in, in the late 1990s when it got reclassified by the BBFC and they were able to, to play it and show it on, on Channel 4 uh, with an 18 certificate. So it took like nearly 30 years for it to actually play again in the UK after its initial <laughs> theatrical release. Yeah, so we were very fortunate to meet Leatherface himself. Yes, we... In person. And I can honestly say he was the nicest person ever. Yeah, because... Uh, his niceness is contrasted by like we, we we saw a few people at Horicon. It was it was a good convention. It was a good experience. But there were a few people who weren't necessarily as as warm and as friendly as um as 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 Gunner. It's like like because we we met somebody who we got an autograph and everything, but we thought is about. I wish I hadn't bothered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we, we we're a couple of tables down. Like Gunnar Hansen's there. And we think, yeah, let's go see him. There's only like a queue of like three or four people. Let's go for it. And in the queue in front of us was this guy, this this obvious massive fan of the franchise, with a like no joke, two or three foot high, massive in detail, um, like big statue or figure or massive um, figurine of of Leatherface, and he got uh, Gunnar Hansen to sign it. And then in the queue, because I, I hadn't prepared anything to ask Gunnar Hansen, I don't know, I hadn't even, hadn't even seen the film. But um, I asked like, ask him, like, did you expect to ever be um, like seeing something like, like a massive figurine like that? And like, silently, did you ever expect anything like this? And he tells this story about how like, after shooting the film, because he, he's, from, he's from Iceland, he either went back home to Iceland or he went on a holiday. It was like, so he was basically on or near the European continent for a few years, basically. He spent some time away there, and the film was banned there, so obviously it never played. He never got a reputation in these countries. Like he, like Nobody knew by what he did. And then, several years later, he comes back to America, only to see that the film has become a massive cult hit, a massive... like It was like the eighth or ninth highest grossing film the year that it came out in America. It was a massive hit. And all of a sudden, just overnight, he was like a big name, and he had no idea that this had happened. And all these people were like cheering for him and yeah. like wanting his autograph, and he just had absolutely no idea. And when he was telling this story, this guy is so enigmatic. He was the best person. He's an amazing storyteller, mm. and he was looking us both in the eye. Yeah, like he like he... a proper human conversation whereas a lot of people you know they don't really give you the time of day and he did he gave yeah. you the time of day yeah. and it was an amazing experience yeah he gave us time we got um, a photograph a signed photograph of Leatherface which he signed he put uh, you know, dear William you're next and he like signed it and everything we'll, we'll put it on our Instagram we'll put it on our like Monster Monday Instagram and everything so you yeah, can check it out yeah it's framed yeah yes we, <laughs> yes we framed it and everything yes and uh, we got uh, I got a photo with him it was it was Honestly, one of the best interactions with um, with a, with a uh, with a talent with a with a celebrity. That yeah, I've, he yeah. he he was so interested, and he just really took the time to talk to you. He wasn't rushing you along, even though there was a big queue behind us. Yeah, and yeah, he really took the time to talk to both of us, even though only one of us paid. Yeah, 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 but yeah, but it was yeah, it was lovely as well. It, it I was... do wish I'd got a photograph with him, but yeah. I'll always have the memory <laughs> of meeting him and. Um, yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was lovely, and it also just like looking back at his career, because he, he was um, 
he he was an actor in several films as well. He was offered um, uh, like the lead role uh, in The Hills Have Eyes, but he turned it down. Well, he yeah he he was also um, a producer and he was a writer. He wrote books, he wrote comic books and stuff like that as well. And I want I want to try and check out some of them, his written work and everything. But yeah, it was just a really lovely interaction. This was in twenty twenty thirteen maybe 2014 and just by an unbelievable quirk of fate like this was not remotely planned like but it was when i was looking up um his like wikipedia page and everything after watching the texas chainsaw massacre for the first time today i'm I'm recording this the same day that i watched it for the first time uh was when uh, gunnar hansen unfortunately passed away five years ago today november 7th of uh, pancreatic cancer at the age of 68 so five years ago today um gunnar hansen leatherface passed away uh, so we'll raise our glasses to what well, was a, yeah. a lovely man. Yeah, very um, lovely man. So yeah, we'll, we'll drink to, to Gunnar Hansen, uh, the man, the legend. Uh, and that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, like I said, it spanned um, several films, uh, several spin-offs and uh, a massive multimedia franchise and stuff like that, which we, we may get to. Uh, we may get to those later on. Toby Hooper would go on to direct a sequel, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is basically a black comedy sequel, like very little actual horror elements in it. Uh, I've seen clips from that. I've seen a lot of moments and things from the franchise, but I've not actually watched any of them from beginning to end. But this is the start of it. Yeah, yeah, I've watched this one for the first time. Um, And as for the future of the franchise it's kind of up in the air at the moment there's always talks of a tv series that there was a leatherface film a few years ago which i don't think did very well at the box office and many people talked about yeah there's always talks of trying to turn it into a tv series or to make more films about it in february 2020 brothers ryan and andy tahill were hired to direct the next installment and the film's plot would focus on leatherface who was now 60 years old but on august 24th 2020 the brothers were fired a week into filming so apparently they started filming a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film this year and now the future's up in the air of it so we don't know what's happening. But yeah that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, and now we need to talk about uh, what we're going to be discussing next week on the podcast so I've got the wheel up so we're going to spin the wheel we're going to find out what we're talking about next week on Monster Monday. So Yaz, what are we talking about next Monday? We've got another classic for you. It is the one and only John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes, the original. Yes, Halloween. Uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, I've not seen it from beginning to end for a long time. I, I, I tend to double feature Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, but yeah, looking forward to this revisit. So, thanks so much for listening to this installment of Monster Monday. Thanks for listening to us ramble about horror conventions, about star signs, about um, d- about lots of other stuff, basically. So, thank you so much for listening to us to us ramble and talk. Uh, and if you want to continue the ramblings, if you want to see those lovely photos of uh, of Gunnar Hansen that we talked about, on we'll put them on our social medias. But how will you know where to find them? Where, where can they find those social media pages, Yaz? Where, where, where can they find us? We are on Twitter at Monster Mom Pod. We're on Instagram at Monster Monday Pod. And Facebook is the same as Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to us. My name is Will. My name is Yaz. And we'll see you next Monday for the Monster Monday podcast. See you next week. Bye. Bye.